Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I'm a licensed psychologist here in Georgia, and it is time for the TT Time with Dr. Tarver. It is a wellness-based podcast. It is not intended to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health provider. Here we are in the last Tuesday of October, also Halloween, which is my favorite holiday. I took off my Minnie Mouse ears because I didn't feel like that would be appropriate given the topic I need to discuss, but do know that I was dressed as Minnie Mouse today. Um, So we are finishing up our series this month, which is dedicated to our breast cancer awareness and domestic violence awareness and prevention um, months. And we also want to just make sure that we're honoring survivors because this has been viewers choice. So the topics this month have come from survivors. We have been discussing this month being able to receive compliments, healing from things and people that make us feel broken, coping after a loved one dies from cancer, And last week we got into domestic violence and intimate partner violence. And whenever I talk about domestic violence, uh, I think I focus a lot on examples of domestic violence and intimate partner violence and how to support someone, uh, resources so that people can get out of situations. Uh, But I don't think that I have necessarily focused as much on how domestic violence and intimate partner violence affect the workplace. Um, So I want to make sure that I highlight that for our last Tuesday this month in this episode entitled Stay and Obey, um, Understanding Domestic and Intimate Partner Violence in the Workplace. So we talked last week about um, some of the behaviors that we recognize can constitute uh, violence against children, elders, but also in um, intimate relationships. And so verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, uh, more emotional abuse. And and I think sometimes we don't really think about how those can show up in our workspaces. So uh, we talked about signs to be aware when someone is in an abusive uh, relationship You will see people change their behavior. Um, It may be that uh, they constantly have to have their phone around. When they don't answer or respond to a call or text right away, there may be uh, visible anxiety. Um, You may have actually heard someone being talked to in a demeaning way or seen someone be physically violent with someone in in a parking lot picking them up. Um, you may have had people scan the room while they're at work, letting people know that they're at work, questions about you as a co-worker. You may see people wearing um, attire that isn't consistent with the weather as if they're trying to cover up something. You see people use makeup to try to cover bruises, glasses, hats, scarves um, to be able to um, not allow the appearance of the bruises to be present, right? Because we know that people are being choked, punched, kicked. Um, uh, Also, let people know that even if you see somebody wincing as they're sitting, um, when that's not typically right, we know people get in accidents or people may have back issues, knee issues, we're aware of that. But all of a sudden, somebody that's healthy, they're doing well, they're wincing, they're sitting down because sometimes what people will do when they're being abusive is they will put those bruises and those wounds in places where people can't see. So paddling or burning on the back or pinching so that you don't see the visible scars on a person. But the person who is being victimized will have that pain, um, that constant reminder 
when um, they're at work sitting down, standing, moving. Um, you may see some changes in terms of their attire, just in they were very confident, outgoing, um, and bubbly. Now all of a sudden they're dressing in ways that it's almost as if they're trying to hide. They don't want to be visible. They don't want to be seen. They don't want attention drawn to them. They may have been more social, and now they're less social. They're not as engaging. They don't want you coming over to the house. Um, they don't want people around their partner, um, or they won't, don't want uh, people around their uh, partner. Their partner may not want to be around people, but they also may not want people to see their partner because of some of the behaviors, and particularly when somebody's in that abusive environment, right? One of the things we know about abuse is often it is hidden. And so I may get a completely different presentation of this person when they're around me than you do when you experience them at home. All right, so some of those signs. But again, showing up in the workplace, because you can have a person who consistently is calling the job, consistently calling the person while they're at work. You could actually have a person showing up at work, antagonizing the person, popping up. Um, you may have someone waiting in the parking lot for you and you'll, your coworker or your employee, employee may be very uncomfortable leaving the space. Um, you may have had this person be threatening to other coworkers. Um, you have, may have had this person call up to the office and when you didn't release information about where a person was, then they became irate on the phone and maybe made some threats to, to a person or to a building, right? So these kind of things can kind of show up, or if I suspect something is going on, this person is coming in late or they're missing work, you might be in the ER because they've sustained injuries, and so we're recognizing that it may be showing up in absenteeism or it may be showing up in terms of a person can't concentrate and focus while they're at work. Um, they can't be attentive because they're constantly being disrupted or they're uncomfortable, they're antsy, they're on edge. Or they may be in an active case against someone and so they may be missing because they need to go to court. Or they may be in situations where it's not safe for them to come to work. They have a protective order in place and so they may be trying to navigate um, how they may be to work from home or make some other arrangements. And so in keeping these things in mind, I think one, a few things is important. One, I do think it's important for everybody to understand what their workplace policy is on domestic violence. And some of you may be thinking, is that a thing? It absolutely should be a thing, um, where each workplace should outline, one, that it is important that employers and employees don't engage in any violence toward each other, uh, verbal, physical, um, sexual, emotional, financial, all the ways we just discussed last week, but also that we're ensuring that when our employees come into an environment, they're in a safe space and that they're protected from someone who may be trying to harm them. And so I think a lot of times people feel like, well, that's a home issue that shouldn't be brought to work. But I, I can guarantee you that we bring things to work all the time, whether we're aware or not aware of them. They show up with us when our kids are sick. Um, that comes with us to work. When our partners are going through grief, that shows up with us to work. Um, when we're having challenges with our kids at school, that shows up with us to work. So things come with us to work. It's unrealistic to expect that. But what we want to do is make sure that we have in place um, some things that are going to allow our employees to be safe, for us to have a safe environment. Um, and so, again, understanding what that policy is at work. And also understanding... Um, the laws and rules that govern our ability to be able to, I think sometimes employers will 
uh, terminate an employee because they have some things going on in their lives with regard to a domestic violence or intimate partner violence situation. But it is very important for us to recognize that when um, employees have uh, court orders of protection and they bring it in, um, then that information needs to be maintained at the office. So it's important for not only you to know who that person is, but to notify um, anybody that um, could potentially be impacted so they can keep themselves safe as well, particularly if this person uh, has a history of violence and has been known to show up at places, right? We want to keep our employees safe, and so it's very important that we make sure we're aware of what's going on and also inform other people um, because there could be an emergency that could occur at work, and we want to make sure that we know who to contact, um, who uh, is available to see this person, who is not, um, but also where we're going to keep this order of protection so that if anybody needs to get that information, they're easily able to get it. Um, and also, if there is um, law enforcement that may be the contact person, who that person is, how to get in contact with them, and making sure that we are, um, of course, Maintaining privacy, right, because I think a lot of times when it comes to these kind of situations, it can be very easy for us to share and spread information that may not necessarily be need to know, right? So we want to always protect people's dignity and respect them in environments. But this is one of the ways that we can keep people safe is because the workplace is where we spend a lot of time. And so ensuring that we have these things in place is very important. Um, do want you all to know that each state differs, and so it's important for you to understand what is present in your state, but um, Georgia has a Georgia crime job protection law, and that allows an employee who has been a victim or witness of a criminal offense to be able to go to court if they are subpoenaed or if they have jury duty as a result of that. And so it's going to be important for employers and employees to understand um, this law and understand how it may be applying to a particular situation so that work schedule adjustments can be made. There may be time off, so that means we need to um, ensure that we have the right people in place if a person is going to be off. And sometimes you don't know how cases are going to run. As we have seen since the pandemic, a lot of courts have gotten behind on these cases. But just ensuring that those things are in place. So we're making sure that a person has adequate medical leave or um, um, uh, whatever it is designated as in your place of employment. So making sure that you're uh, putting that information in so that you make sure your employers are aware, but also employers that you understand what would be appropriate leave for the employee to take. I know that some jobs have legal assistance, but also they have counseling. You know I was going to get a plug in for that. And so making sure that those resources are available uh, when we have employees that may be in some situations where there's domestic violence or intimate partner violence. And I do think that it's important for us as we try to support and advocate for our coworkers. Um, and sometimes, you know, coworkers end up becoming very close to us. You think about how long you have worked with someone. You know them very well. You know their family. And so being able to assist sometimes with finding new housing, um, attending court proceedings as uh, support, assisting with relocation efforts, um, being able to uh, ensure that your personnel no safety procedures if we need to evacuate and exit this building and we need to lock this building down. What kind of things do we have in place if there is a crisis here that occurs? 
Um, do we have walkie-talkies? Do we have panic buttons? Do these things work? Um, sometimes we're in spaces where we have things that nobody's ever used and tested, um, or they used and tested them initially, but they haven't been used and tested in years. And so when we need them, they're not actually functioning. How many people have a, a, a distress button that doesn't actually go anywhere? Nobody picks up on the other end. It's not very helpful, right? And so being able to understand these kind of things that are in your workspace in the event that you're in this situation. And I do tell people because a lot of times people think they don't need to have these things in place or don't need to be aware of and understand what um, is in your work environment because that's not a situation that you're in. But you all will hear me say quite frequently, prevention is better than intervention. I'd rather you have the resource and not need to use it than need it at some point and not have it or not know how to access it or recognize that the system you have in place isn't a system that's going to work effectively. And so you can work with your HR, you can work with your local law enforcement. If there are some things that need to get in place, there are some security companies that will come in, they'll do training, talk to you about how to deal with these situations. And what we'll often hear is an active shooter event will occur, right? So we want to make sure that we're putting things in place that are going to allow our employees to be able to be safe. How can they lock themselves in if they need to? How can they barricade? Where are the safe spaces they can go if they need to hide? Um, what is the plan? What's the course of action in terms of notifying people that there's an active shooter, right? So these are the kind of things that can be important because as you have heard frequently about what can turn into an active shooter situation is it may be somebody who was actively um, abusing a person. So here my partner is working. I'm going to go over to that place um, and take action because they're not responding or I think that they're involved with someone else or they're trying to leave me, right? And so the workplace is an easy place to be able to get access to someone because you know where they're going to be, you know their schedule. And if any of you don't know their schedule, you know enough about where they work to be able to watch and figure out when they're going to be there. And so this kind of information is extremely important as we're talking about um, awareness and prevention efforts for domestic violence and intimate partner violence because we do want to make sure that we have reasonable accommodations in place that allow um, our employers, our employees to be able to perform their job. Um, and even if those things aren't available to happen in the environment, what are some things that are available so that a person may be able to get alternate accommodations before we consider terminating people or in any time there's a situation, okay, we don't want to have to deal with that, so you can't work here. I think there's a lot of middle ground in there, but we need to have the appropriate policies in place. And it isn't coming upon us as we're working to know what those things may be. Um, I do think it's also really important for us to understand because sometimes as we talk about one of the reasons why people stay in domestic violence, intimate partner violence relationships is because they are not financially independent. And so one of the things that is really important is, okay, so what happens when this person leaves a partner and then they don't have insurance coverage? So being able to explain to a person, hey, in the event that there's a, a situation that occurs in your life where you would need to get insurance through our company, here are some of the um, circumstances under which we would allow that outside of open enrollment. And one of them absolutely could be separating from a spouse or um, intimate partner that was covering a person on insurance but who's being violent and this person is trying to get out of that situation, right? So this will allow them to be able to support themselves. And this is why we talk about the ability to be able to leave. We want to 
give people independence. This is one of the ways to ensure people have independence, particularly if they have children, making sure that I'm able to get an insurance policy for myself and my, my kids so they can be covered while I'm in this process of transitioning out of this very violent relationship. But I think also being able to make changes to payroll, because one of the things we also know is that when a person is being abused financially, then their partner will often ensure that that money is being routed to an account where they have access. And this person who's the employee may not even have access to these accounts. So being able to talk to that potential employee about how to make changes to their electronic payroll um, as quickly as possible, right? Because we know that sometimes these things can take a while, but if I'm trying to get out of an abusive situation, I'm trying to get into new housing, I need to be able to have access to my check. And so ensuring that we're doing that in a timely way, but also being able to understand what your rights are, what you have access to in terms of your employer. Um, and I do think it's important for us to also understand that um, in this environment, in the workspace that we need to hold people accountable who are violent. So if there are employees who are violent or employers who are environment that are, are violent, who are threatening, harassing, bullying, abusing, uh, because we do know that there are people that work together. We also know quid pro quo, right? So we know that um, there is sexual harassment that occurs in workplaces. We know that um, there has been uh, positions of leverage and power that are used to be able to control employees by threatening termination, by threatening to withhold resources, or um, if you engage and do what I want you to do, you're being able to move up. So we know these things are in place. And it's very important for us to make sure, one, that we know the appropriate way to um, file a complaint when this is going on, um, to have that documentation and that evidence that supports that paper trail, those text messages, those emails, um, who was around when those conversations occurred, because we want to be able to handle this. If there is an abusive partner, so if you have two people dating that work in the same place, you know this partner is abusive, and we have witnesses, because I know sometimes we'll say, well, I don't want to get involved in that. I don't want to choose sides. That's not my business. The reality is, it's all of our business, because if something were to happen and we had information and could be preventative, how would we feel about that, right? And so being able to move into this place of, because I know some of us grew up with the whole snitches get stitches, but moving from this place of that I'm betraying a trust, I'm um, doing something that could put someone um, in a situation where something negative can happen. Let me think about these are human beings and I want to do what is absolutely right and appropriate to keep people safe because I would want for the people that I love and care about to be safe in their workspaces. So I'm going to do what I can to create safe workspaces for people. If someone is being violent and being abusive, don't think that that could just be limited to this person because we know that oftentimes a person may have a target going into a um, an active shooter situation, but that doesn't mean that there won't be other people that unfortunately don't get um, shot or, or killed, um, sadly, because they happen to be in the space, right? So be thinking about it in that way. Gone are the days where we get to kind of um, engage in being a bystander, and that removes us from having active engagement and participation in a situation. Be thoughtful of that this is a space where anything could happen or 
we can also create a safe space where we're less likely to have something happen. So think about it in those ways. What can I do to contribute to there being a, a less likely an opportunity for there to be an event? Right. Um, and so also just, you know, that being compliant with investigations, when people come and ask you questions about if you've observed something, you've seen some harassment, you've seen some discrimination, we are very much concerned about somebody retaliating against us. And so I think that keeps us like, hey, I don't want to lose my job. Right. But do be mindful of, again, the same thing could be happening to you as well, because if we recognize there is a culture of discrimination, harassment, violence, we don't speak up. This person gets away with it. They get more comfortable, right? And so then start generalizing to, oh, okay, well, I'm untouchable. So now you become the target for whatever reason, right? So if you see something, say something. We want to make sure that we're speaking up. But also in understanding your company's policies and procedures, you do have legal ground to stand on with regard to what environment and climate should look like in your workplace, right? So always refer to those policies and procedures. I know that a lot of times we sign those certificates and say we went through that orientation, but we don't actually take the time to go through and look at our policies and procedures. But that is one of the best ways to keep yourself um, safe in a workspace is to be able to understand what the climate is supposed to be like. What is your employer um, saying for people that come in and work in this space? What it's going to be, right? So checking in with that. Um, I also like to um, definitely say that for anybody that's in a workspace, you have the potential to bring up some things that you might like to see added to a work policy, right? So if there isn't anything related to domestic violence, there isn't a safety plan in place, if there aren't ways to be able to report um, information or concerns, do bring that up. Um, say, hey, I'd like, you know, I'd be interested in working on a policy, helping to create a policy, getting on a team to be able to address this area because we don't have it in here. And in that policy, you can outline the sanctions for anybody that does engage in um, violent acts at work, harassment, discrimination, but also what happens if somebody um, is violent in our workspace and how we handle that, how we're going to address that. Because I have seen, unfortunately, where people will say, well, um, you know, we care more about our public image than we do about the people that work here. And so that's not a safe space for people. We want to make sure that our employees are able to be um, safe and respected. And so when people come in simply because they're paying money for a service doesn't mean they get to mistreat people. Right. Or just because they happen to be the delivery people or um, the people that come around maybe and um, make sure we're in compliance doesn't mean they get to mistreat the employees. And so just making sure that we're clear about those things. Um, I think the last thing I want to say about being able to decrease domestic violence and intimate partner violence in the workplace is education. I know that we go through trainings. Um, every year, sometimes um, a couple of times a year, um, whether that's alcohol and drugs in the workplace or sexual harassment and discrimination in the workplace. But I think it's important for us to add that domestic violence education and training. So many people are unaware of how common domestic violence and intimate partner violence are. In Georgia, we're right under 50 percent. We're at 30 uh, percent, right? And so we're, you know, we're um, in between 30 and 40 percent. And it is actually 
not anything we can ignore any longer. We've seen too many examples of it. There are too many people um, who have talked about losing a loved one related to domestic violence, intimate partner violence, families that have been um, massacred, unfortunately, because of domestic violence, right? So we want to ensure that we have things in place to understand what it looks like, how to report it, um, in the restrooms, in the lounge areas, lunch sites, um, what are our employee assistance programs, who are our local domestic violence service providers, uh, who is the human um, resources personnel that are trained but also available to help us coordinate um, so that if we need to change benefits or get referrals or get support. I just think that unfortunately we have gotten to a place where we normalize things so much that we don't recognize like, hey, I actually can put put some prevention things in place and some early intervention things in place. And so this is one of the ways to do that, whether it's a brown bag lunch talk or health and wellness programs, but ensuring that we are actually talking about domestic violence and intimate partner violence and that we're not saying that this is someone else's problem or it's not anything that should affect work. It is, in fact, something that is existing in the workplace. And I guarantee you, with percentages just in Georgia, um, Oklahoma actually has the highest rates of domestic violence and intimate partner violence at 50%, right? And so just those numbers alone let us know that it is absolutely likely, highly likely, I will say, that you know somebody that has been in a domestic violence or intimate partner violence relationship or you yourself have been. So I definitely encourage us, right, as we're moving toward the space of being able to eradicate domestic violence and intimate partner violence, that we want to understand what it is, how it can affect us in various environments, including the workplace, to how to get a person into a safe space or as they're moving through the legal system, how to advocate for them in that realm. That three, we have things set up through our human resource departments to be able for um, employees and employers to understand their rights and the things that need to take place if they need to have absences or leave to be able to address things. Um, and that four, we know all the applicable laws and rules that are um, governing how we're going to be able to navigate in those environments. We can have safe workspaces that are free from domestic violence and intimate partner violence. It just takes us seeing something and saying something. Be well.